Welcome to Review the Future, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the impact of technology on culture. I'm Ted Cover. I'm John Perry. And today we're asking the question, have we reached peak education? And our guest today is computer science professor from Trinity in San Antonio, Texas, Mark Lewis. Uh, thanks for being with us, Mark. I'm glad to be here. So Mark and I have been uh, chatting uh, on G Plus uh, in the futurist community there for some time. And I asked Mark to come on the show today because he's got a concept that he's mentioned that I thought was pretty interesting. But uh, the idea is that maybe we have reached or we're about to reach what he calls peak education. So do you want to just start off by explaining to us what you mean by that? First off, the idea came to me because a lot of people, when talking about what we might refer to as the second machine age, the kind of wave of automation that many people think is coming. A lot of people say that we're going to get around this by increasing our levels of education. And when I started thinking about how education is right now in the United States, I decided that I don't really buy that, um, that I don't think we have that much further that we can push our educational levels. And there are a number of reasons for this. I, the, the first thought was just based on the idea that, you know, we've been telling kids that if you want to get a good job in the U.S., that they need to have a college education. And I was told that when I was young. So I know that anyone who's under the age of 40 in the U.S., that was, that was the mantra. You know, that's, that's what you've been told. And so that gave me this feeling that whatever level of education you had attained at this point was probably pretty close to what you could attain because you've known for the majority of your life that it was the education that was going to to help you to be successful. You're saying as opposed to the past when maybe people were discouraged from going as far as they could go. Exactly. And so for the Industrial Revolution, there is no doubt that education is what got us through the Industrial Revolution in, an, in economic terms. If you look back at say 1900 and actually I've, I've been looking for stats on this and it's very hard to find stats on education in the US going back to, to 1900. Uh, you can get good stats back into the 1940s but going beyond that is is hard but just from what I know of my grandparents and my great-grandparents it was not uncommon around 1900 for kids to be pulled out of school after third grade because their life was going to be lived on the farm the majority of the United States, that was their job. They, they worked on farms and most of them didn't need to be very highly educated. And so there was a lot of advancement that could be made because these people weren't being, they didn't stop their education at third grade because that's all that they were capable of. They stopped their education at third grade because they were more valuable at home working on the farm. And so do you think people are stopping now because they're feeling satisfied uh, or because they're giving up or just because they feel that they have enough? Well, I think a part of it is also I've, I'm a firm believer that humans do have limits, you know, whether it's both physically and mentally. I am never going to deadlift a thousand pounds. It's, it's not in my genetics. You know, and no matter how much I exercise, there, there are certain limitations to, to what I can do. I believe the same thing is true intellectually. You know, and different people have different limits at different places. I first realized this when I, I realized I'd hit my limit in math. And it was somewhere around complex analysis. I'm like, you know, going further, just there, I hit it to point of, a point of diminishing returns. And 
and I think that everyone has has points, and it, and it differs in what field you're talking about. You know, where your limit is in math might be different from where your limit is in the humanities or or whatnot. But we all do face limits eventually, and I feel that at this point in time, we have pushed people. I won't say to the limit of what they can learn, but they're not that far away from it. There's only so much more that you can gain. To understand this, so for example, I have a little chart up in front of me that shows the percentage of, of people in the United States who have a high school diploma or more education. And if you go back to 1940, it turns out that in the 25 to 29 age range, under 40% of the people in the United States had a high school education. If you go to the mid-70s, that got up close to 90%, and it basically is flatlined. So you still have about 10% of the United States population that does not graduate from high school. I think those people are very well aware that not graduating from high school is going to be very detrimental to their future careers. Their reasons for not graduating, you know, whatever their reason might be, it's not clear to me that there's anything that we can do that's going to change that. I imagine the 10% of people who are still not graduating from high school in the United States are doing so not because they are incapable of learning high school skills, but because they're in crippling poverty. I mean, I, I would imagine that the reason they are not graduating high school is because they don't have the ability to, or because the community they grow up in doesn't give them the signals that you know I got and you got, and that many of, I'm sure, our listeners got, that doing so is going to be a, a huge problem for their their lives going forward. Ten percent is actually a remarkably low number. I can't I can't believe it, it's that low. Well, it, and that's but that would be the other side of have we hit or are we near a peak? At least for the high school education, you can't push much past ninety percent. Right. There's not much further to go, and without like solving all of our social problems, I don't know how you make more progress on that. Uh, what what I guess is m maybe a little more interesting to me because I think. Um, I wonder about specifically college education and STEM field. You know, a lot of people do feel that a way out of our current, you know, skill bias, technical change, or second machine change, whatever you want to call it, problems. Let's, to, let's, can we just go through that really quickly? Because I feel like we missed that part of sure, the argument. Sure, sure, sure. Go ahead. So just John, to just, give we'll some, just back up. some context for all of this. I yeah, mean, absolutely. You know, it looks like we're entering a time of, if not, you know, outright technological unemployment, then at least like a time when we're going to have a major mismatch of the jobs that need to be done in the near future and the types of skills that our population has, right? I mean, this is the concern that many, many economists are expressing now and that we've talked about before on this podcast. So sure. we're talking about the issue of keeping people educated in a future where many of many of the jobs of today no longer exist due to technology. Yes. Right. And they're being replaced in large part by STEM field jobs, programming jobs, probably for the most part, but also other kinds of mathematical and engineering type work. But I'm interested in you know, if we in the United States can't do very much more to educate native-born U.S. persons to be, say, programmers, Mark, might not the solution to that just be to open up <laughs> who we let in and uh, let in some of the rest of the world where there are still many hundreds of millions, if not a billion people, uh, who are exactly in that place that you're describing from the early part of the Industrial Revolution in the West. They, they have a third grade or an eighth grade or less education. And you'd imagine that a, a tremendous number of those people have capabilities that have not yet yes, been, yeah. been so, maxed out. So the, the whole concept of that we've hit a peak 
in education really only applies to developed nations. There, there's definitely a lot of the world that has not reached that point. Even then, I think in some ways the, the question isn't just whether we're close to this, it's, it, I think there are people who would argue that there is no such thing as peak education, that, that humans will just keep getting better and better. And I disagree with that, which means that at some point, this is something that we'll run into. Sure, we could deprive the rest of the world of their intelligent people, and we could bring <laughs> them all here. Um, and what does that mean for the rest of the world if, if we are importing, uh, if we're basically doing a global brain drain? Um, I don't necessarily see that as, as a good way to go. And then there's also the, the problem of how are the people who are not as capable supposed to play a role in the, in the future economy? If, if you have a situation where in order to have a productive and fruitful life, you have to, let's just say, be capable of doing programming at a certain level. Sure. If that were the situation in the world, I can tell you there are people who that is not their forte and this is going to be bad for them. And another way that I think we might envision this is just the amount of time that we spend in education. You know, you go back to 1900, once again, your education stopped around eight or nine for the average person. And now we keep people in college until well into their 20s. At a fundamental level, humans are slow learners. So whatever it is that we're teaching them, unless we can find a much, much better way to cram the knowledge into their head, which you know, if we're talking the ability to download stuff into people's brains, well, that then peak education isn't an issue because you can just download wherever the heck you want into people's brains. But if we're talking about a normal learning process, it takes time for humans to learn things. And we're already keeping people in school for the first 20 plus years of their life. They can't contribute to the economy very much during that period of time. How much do you intend to grow that so that these humans can compete against the next round of automation? Yeah, that's an interesting question and one that I've worried about, uh, specifically when people talk about, well, we'll just retrain our current workforce, right? Because if that person has to then do like a whole new collegiate four-year course of study or, or something like that, that's a tremendous amount of that person's working life that they're, they're yes. going to be putting back into education. But you education. can make that more efficient than a four-year Absolutely. collegiate course, Absolutely. And right? I think, right. I mean, I think, you know, we, well, we need can, to... Can you? Well, I think we can if we can keep people employed in the meantime. And there are all kinds of companies that try to do this, you know, in Silicon Valley, where they're very concerned about these kinds of issues. Most companies have free to employee training programs that are almost as comprehensive as a university. I know Google and Apple and Pixar all have them. And I think other other big companies up there do, too. I think they do that on purpose to keep their employees current so that while they're working at whatever is currently valuable, they're also going to a class and learning what will be valuable next year. And, you know, you just have to stay, it's a treadmill. You have to stay a little bit ahead of the curve in order to stay relevant. You don't necessarily need to be going back to scratch every year. But that's not the system that we have currently set up. Our current system does make this assumption, which is maybe an old-fashioned assumption now, that you're going to go to school and not work for a period of time, build up debt or pay in your parents' money or whatever, and then you're going to come out of that system and work and not learn, right? Um, but we maybe need to be going to a system where you learn your whole life and you maybe don't learn as much up front and you continue to learn. Uh, well, but, but there's a problem there because what? we're already seeing it go the opposite direction. 
the number of high schoolers who have jobs right now is is much lower than it was 20 years ago. Sure. And why is it much lower? Because the jobs that are available today cannot use the skills that they have coming out of high school. Okay, yeah. so so you can't say, well, we're going to integrate them into the workforce younger and then have them live through their entire lives because at, at a younger age, they don't have the right skills. They haven't built up to that. Also, with the education model you're talking about in Silicon Valley, those people already have a foundation. Right. You're not taking them to a completely new field. This isn't a retraining. This is a let's build on what you already know and give you one more step. Sure. And I think, obviously, it's a lot easier to accomplish that. One thing that is problematic is that uh, the bottom end jobs just across industries seem to be going away. They're either being automated out by software or by uh, hardware. And as a result, you're right, you don't see as many opportunities for people with fewer skills to work. But if you have one current skill, you can get a job now. And even if that skill is not going to be current two years from now, because that's the pace of change, this model I'm talking about would allow people who've got a current skill to, to stay on top of that treadmill and not fall off it. You know, uh, in, the, in the past, when we had these kinds of big technological changes, you'd have a generation to retrain. So yeah, your, your father might lose his farm as agriculture became mechanized, but you would have 20 years to go to school and get a high school education and become an office worker. These changes seem to be coming too fast for that model to work. So we maybe need to rethink, you know, what we're teaching people all up and down the chain. Right, right. But there's two different issues here, right? The pace of change and being able to retrain in time right. is different from we're hitting a, a peak in people's actual brain capacity, right? So, yes. so I, I think actually all three of us probably are in agreement that the pace is getting such that there's a challenge inherent in, in that. Yes. I think what you're saying, though, is, is this more stronger. I think, there's, yeah. I think there's actually truly a peak. Another thing I would point to is the Flynn effect. Um, have I don't know if you guys have, have ever had a show where you discussed the Flynn effect. No, I'm not familiar with that. What is that? So the Flynn effect was in looking at measurements of IQs over the 20th century. People actually got smarter in the developed world. From, from 1900 up until in the 1970s, 1980s, the average IQ rose. Lots of the militaries give IQ tests. And so they had this historical record where they could look at basically how smart people were using a standard IQ test. And they found that people were getting smarter. And so I have heard people argue that humans are just going to keep getting smarter and more capable. Well, it turns out it, it plateaued in the 1980s. So this was something that came from better nutrition, better living standards, better education. We did actually get smarter in the developed world. And in the, in the third world nations, the same thing should happen. They can truly increase their potential for a period of time as their standard of living rises. But since the 1980s, we have plateaued and actually some of the, some things point to the fact we might be heading downward. You know, so that's, that's just another thing to fold into this. We actually, coming from off the Industrial Revolution, we got an added benefit that people's IQs actually went up, and that's not happening anymore. Yeah, well, that's interesting because it may just be that, uh, that we're now reaching the natural limits of the human brain and that the only way to get higher IQs out of people or the functional equivalent of such is to you know change human bodies either through smart drugs or through genetic engineering or something like that, which is not currently online. So we may we may be at a plateau point where that just isn't going to go up anymore. That I'm willing to buy, but I'm still pretty skeptical of this idea that we can't 
teach people more, better, and even more advanced skills. The, the assumption here is that if we don't keep getting smarter, we're not going to be able to employ people because the jobs of the future require smarter people. But I, I'm not sure I buy that assumption necessarily. I mean, I think that makes a certain amount of sense that future jobs are going to be harder to do, uh, but not necessarily. I mean, not with, you know, AI assistance and augmented reality and uh, computers guiding humans through the process and basically giving way to the human to do the thing that only the human can do. And then, you know, I mean, a real like partnership. What is the part that only the human can do? And how many years do you have to go before the machine can do that part too? Well, well I agree with you there. Yeah, <laughs> probably, probably not that many. But again, what that seems to indicate to me is not so much that, oh, well, all the gains of that will go to like the one really smart guy. They're just going to go to the one really rich guy who owns the machines. Oh, I agree. And that, that guy doesn't need to be very smart at all. He just needs to have started the game with more money. And so, I mean, that's a problem, obviously, that we, I think all three of us are extremely concerned about and that I think you and I have even talked about uh, in other contexts in the past. But um, again, uh, I, let me put the, 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 my thoughts on peak education kind of in a different, in a different light. Okay. I look at what we were able to do between 1900 and 2000. Okay. Basically the, the changes from the, the first industrial revolution. And I firmly believe that we were able to educate our way out of that because we had a lot of room to grow. We were able to keep people in school instead of keeping them in school for three or four years, we were able to keep them in school for 16 years. Okay, so we were able to literally quadruple the length of time they spend in school and to get a whole bunch more knowledge into people's head and still have things work. We cannot do that same thing now. We cannot keep people in school for 45 years before they enter the job market. I definitely agree with that. And I don't think that that would be a good idea even if we could. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think we... we gain and lose things by keeping people in school as long as we do. This sounds a lot like, you know, Tyler Cowen's low-hanging fruit argument from the Great Stagnation, right? Which is that, you know, there were some easy gains to be had in education not so long ago. Sure. Some low-hanging fruit, like literally actually getting people into a classroom yeah. uh, who weren't before. And that's, of course, a much, you know, for the amount of effort you put in, uh, the amount of reward you get back in terms of education is very high. And it, we maybe won't see quite that good of a value proposition going forward in terms of, like, effort we put in and reward we get out. I mean, I think obviously probably all of us would agree that there's major improvements to be made in the structure of education and in terms of efficiency, in terms of giving people the right skills more quickly. But I don't think that's going to duplicate the gains of the past, right? I mean, that's, 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 that's exactly my point, is that there is no way we can duplicate what we did over the last 100 years. We cannot duplicate that in the next 100 years. Yeah, I agree with that. And to the extent that this is just saying education on its own is not going to be a solution to technological unemployment problems that may arise, mm -hmm. I think we're in complete agreement. I think, you know, that seems like it's a prong of the strategy. But I think if you remember our in our review of Second Machine Age, we kind of took McAfee and Brynjolfsson to task somewhat for being a little Pollyanna-ish about, about education sort of wiping away these problems. I, I, I do think it will, I, th I do think it is possible to teach people ever more valuable skills without them necessarily being smarter. So I do think it would be potentially possible to educate more people in skills that will then get them jobs than we're currently educating people in now. But I definitely 
agree that we can't rely on just shoving more people into the university system to solve our problems uh, with with automation. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this: we already shove people into the university system who probably should not be there. I agree, and with that too. and it causes problems for universities where they have to. And in some ways, we have a, a whole spectrum of calibers of universities. And pushing more people into universities and then having the universities lower their requirements does not actually benefit anything. Right. I, I kind of want to bring up a different thing because I, I there, there's I do think there are gains to be made in education, right? I think there's a, I mean, I, we're never going to have the same gain as, you know, someone not graduating from high school and then suddenly graduating. I mean, that's we're not going to duplicate that. I agree. But I feel like classroom education, university education, one size fits all education that's not tailored to individual students. It's basically still sit in a lecture hall or sit in a classroom. Uh, and, you know, a lot of these students just aren't very good at, you know, managing their lives and schedules and being properly motivated to show up and jump through all the hoops. I mean, that's a huge problem for plenty of these students, too, who might be in the category of people who aren't ready for university. But I think, like, there's a, if we were to somehow get everybody, actual individualized one-on-one education. And the only way I could see us doing that is leveraging technology and AI to help us do that. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think the jump from, you know, one teacher to many to one teacher to one student is probably a pretty big jump for a lot of people. I mean, I know I find in my own career as an educator that the amount you can achieve, you know, in a one-on-one scenario where the education is actually directly tailored to that student's needs seems to me to be quite a bit greater than what you can do uh, in a classroom situation. Um, I mean, do you agree that there's gains to be made there if we can shift education in that oh. direction? Um, yes. I, I don't know how large I, uh, you and I might disagree on how much you can, you can benefit from this. I don't see it doubling their productivity. And part of this, there are certain concepts that need time to sink into people's heads and they need the time and the experience. And yes, you can you can help it. It happens better if they have the one-on-one, but but I'm not certain if the overall effect is going to be really all that great. That would actually be a very interesting thing to see if anyone has has studied. So the question is, do you see that getting people more knowledge faster? And do you see it raising the end point, you know, where where they wind up finishing their education? Well, here's because. Well, OK, good. Yeah, that, that's two interesting questions. I, I see it as faster because I see it as iterating more quickly. So you teach them knowledge mm-hmm. and then they have to say it back to you or, you know, try to restate it or prove that they receive the knowledge and then. They get feedback on whether they were correct or not. That whole loop that happens in education, that loop would be a lot tighter in a one-on-one situation. Whereas now you maybe go to a lecture, uh, somebody gets the information, maybe weeks and weeks later they're tested on it, uh, and nobody along the way actually checked up on them. Uh, And so I actually feel like you could get through that loop, that iteration of where the student learns something, proves whether they know it, gets the feedback on whether they got it right, and maybe as much as double the the speed at which they could learn. I, I do think that that's possible. Now, your second question, though, was whether that means they can get further <laughs> and that I don't yes. maybe not maybe not well further than whom further than they would have gotten on their own or further than some other student who is coming to school no, better I, prepared I, because I think the first thing yes and the second thing no like I don't think this is going to fundamentally change human capabilities 
But a student who currently just like isn't going to make it happen in say a collegiate CS program because they're just not able to you know implement the discipline necessary to repeat things every day and, and learn them in a program that was engineered to work better with the way human minds actually learn and required you to log in every day and do a little bit, et cetera, uh, that person might in fact get further than they would have otherwise, I think. But I, you might be surprised at, at schools like here at Trinity, mm -hmm. um, my students are supposed to be logging in and doing stuff. I, I have them do a little automatically graded quiz where they write code for every day of class. And that's already in place. Yeah, and that's a good strategy. But I think if you were to look uh, countrywide, you'd find that in place in a, in a disturbingly small number of classrooms. You may, be a, you may be an exception there. Actually, I think in computer science, it's something that is growing quite a bit. That makes sense. That makes um, sense. It's one, uh, computer science is, is uh, an area where it's, it, it's more, maybe a little easier to implement something like that since you can automate some in, of the... Indeed. Yeah. So computer science has it. Math, I think, has actually had it probably for even longer mm -hmm. uh, because it's been easy to automate the process right. of giving people certain problems. Solve, right. not, not when you get to the proofs part, but the applied math when they're actually solving problems. But when someone is doing their homework assignment and they're getting it wrong and they're getting maybe, I don't know if the system gives, some of these systems I know give automatic feedback, like you submitted the wrong answer and it flags it and you have to resubmit it. Does it, does it work that way? It depends. And that, yeah, so they're, the, the good ones do. Uh, the good ones will give them feedback and give them a pointer as to why they were probably wrong. The, I don't think that's the majority of systems at this point. Because that part, to me, is the most important part. I mean, that's, that yeah. feedback that they're getting and how specifically it's tailored to what their needs are. And I have a feeling that, you know, that's, like you said, that that's not really as good as it could be. And that's where I think the gains would be the greatest. But, you know, again, I don't know if that actually allows people to learn more at the end of the day. I mean, what do you think about people, like you're talking about people not being able to learn the topics because of their intelligence. I mean, what do you think about people's, like, motivation being a problem? Mot motivation is clearly a factor. I guess, so I often think of one case that, that I know of where there was a, a young lady she had dropped out of high school and she wanted to continue her education. But in the state of Texas, she had to pass a set of tests at the time. It was the TOS test. And in order to get her GED so that she could go on to, to take some class, I, I think it was a basic nursing class that she wanted to go into. But she had to get her, her GED and that meant she had to pass the math section of the TOS test. This is a test that, that covers things that are normally covered in sixth and seventh grade in the state of Texas. And she had taken it six times and she was only allowed to take it like seven or eight. And she was motivated. She knew that this was, she needed to be able to do this and she could not pass that test. So that, that situation does exist. It's not just because people aren't motivated. There are people who actually find these tests to just be overwhelming. Sure, sure. Um, Although I do wonder whether, if that regulation hadn't been in place, whether she would have been absolutely fine in her basic nursing class. And I wonder whether that's not just like bad policy at the end of the day. Does, did she need to know that seventh grade math in order to do the job that she was trying to train for? Or is that just another well, I, way of keeping, you know, way of separating people out and, and marking who's who's had certain types well, of advantages. I'll, I'll let you answer that. Do you want the person who's setting up your IV to be able to add two numbers together reliably? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I, I absolutely do, <laughs> but I, I think I learned how to add two numbers reliably in third grade and, and not in seventh. So 
I, I just it depends I, on how many digits. I, yeah, there right. I mean, I just don't know. I obviously I'm not the expert here. I'm not suggesting that uh, we immediately reform uh, this rule, but um, it does seem like somewhat arbitrary and somewhat like a political distinction it, rather than uh, a, a statement of her absolute capabilities. Also, you know, I don't know what she was doing to prepare for this test. I, I find it a little bit hard to believe that there are, you know, people who are motivated and not suffering from various learning problems that can't be taught to, to pass a GED equivalent test of some kind using some methodology. Uh, I can certainly believe that there are methodologies out there that wouldn't work for those people. But maybe that's, I mean, I don't have any data on that. That's just my feeling about it, I guess. On the question of, of the having things that give feedback immediately, mm-hmm. I you know I do know that there are publishers like Pearson that have they have these systems in place for math and they have been used at quite a few different universities. And the one thing that I will note is I have yet to see the paper that says that their grad that their student scores go up by 200% or anything like that. So yes, these things can make improvements, but we're already running the experiment on that and your improvements are more like 10 to 20% they're not really all that drastic. Yeah, and that makes intuitive sense to me, too, because uh, the, the traditional way of schooling is working for a lot of people, right? So for those folks, yes. I mean, they're showing up to class, they're doing their homework, and they're getting this done the old-fashioned way, and it's working for them. So if you see that improvement, you can imagine a lot of that is, is among the subset of, cl- of kids who, for whom that system wasn't working uh, ideally, uh, but still managed to get their way into, say, a collegiate ca- class, which... You know, that's going to be, I think that's a kind of a special class because those are kids who are, you know, probably a bit smarter than they're performing. So um, I'm not sure that that necessarily suggests that we shouldn't, say, implement those type of systems broadly at the high school level where where interventions might be more successful. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody's thinking we're going to double, you know, top level STEM graduates just by implementing slightly better pedagogical systems. Uh, although I do think there are potentially gains to be made. But here's the thing, and this goes back to pace. Yeah. But the machines are going to be twice as, as good in five years. Agreed. Uh, agreed. Or they might be four times as good in, in, in five which, years. Which go, goes back to my, my, my basic thesis is we can't educate our way out of this problem. Because humans are slow learners, and any change that we try to put into the education system is fundamentally limited by the speed at which humans can adapt and learn these things. Right. Education is slower than hardware improvements. It's slower than you know software updates. Uh, it's slower than the pace of technology. I mean, I would agree with you on that. And I think you know it depends too, though, what the what the jobs of the future look like. I mean, I think. Maybe we're in agreement that eventually there are very few jobs left at all. Um, in the yeah. short term, it seems like the model that some people have in their head, you know, when you read like McAfee and Brynjolfsson or some of these people is that, you know, the future basically looks like Silicon Valley. Like all of a sudden, all of the U.S. is basically, you know, Silicon Valley. And what you need are these like programming skills, these engineering skills, these comp size skills. And certainly if that's the vision of the future and we have to suddenly turn everybody into like a super awesome programmer in order to get a job, then I'm highly skeptical of that, as I think you are, too. Yes. Um, yes. But I mean, there's other future scenarios that might not where the, there may be jobs that aren't in those fields, right, that uh, are leveraging other human qualities 
social qualities, creative qualities, etc. Things that might actually be slightly harder to automate. Although I agree with you that I don't think, you know, <laughs> there's nothing ineffably human that we're going to save from the computers forever necessarily. Yeah. And, you know, with those other skills, in some ways, I don't know if education is, is the right solution there. I mean, does your education really help you to improve your empathy? Right. And do we have good ways of teaching empathy if that's the skill that's needed for a large swath of future jobs? Right. That's really interesting. And I think we may need to rethink our entire educational system because I, the part of my criticism of the McAfee-Brynjolfsson vision of the world that you guys are describing is that even if they're sort of right and all the jobs that are left are, at the end of the day, programming jobs or direct support of programming jobs, then... That's not going to be, I mean, who are you making those programs for? Not, <laughs> not, yeah. uh, not everybody is going to be making a program because one program that works well will serve many, many people. So you can't possibly have the whole U.S. be an endless Silicon Valley. Some Silicon Valley type areas are going to serve the whole rest of the country uh, with all of the software type products they need. And then what are all those other people doing? Of course, you know, on this podcast, we've argued for the eventual need for a, a basic income, perhaps, if we want yes. to yes. Um, keep having a capitalist, consumer-based society. We may need to just basically give people money so that they can participate in that society. And those people may not have jobs in the traditional sense, but they may do education for their own fun and benefit. And maybe that education should be teaching them things, uh, softer skills that are still of of some value, like uh, like you just mentioned, you know, we may always want our hairdressers to be people, even if robots cut your hair better, just because we want to talk to the hairdresser and have that interaction. That's the kind of thing where, yeah, basically, uh, a hairdressing school might uh, start teaching you more like what psychology <laughs> programs teach you now, uh, so that you can interact better with your clients. And, you know, I, I could see that our, our education system might change its focus in the future to produce different kinds of workers whose skills are valued differently. Uh, but yeah, it's hard to see from here what that might look like. Well, and one of the challenges that you run into with, into with this is in some ways the motivation right now to get educated for most yeah, people it's is the fact that they know that they need a job so that they can lead a reasonable life. If you break that and you make it so that education doesn't lead to a job, I think you're going to have a situation where the vast majority of people don't choose to pursue much of an education. Yeah, that's really interesting, and I definitely think we need to worry about that. I mean, I think just even this current generation of kids who've come out of college recently are finding that their education, in many cases, is not leading to a job. And I do wonder about what they'll tell their kids. Uh, for example. Well, well can we, let's talk about just distributed education, right? Because we're really focused right now on schools and university systems, and I think rightly so. Yes. I think that makes a lot of sense to start there. But I feel like there's a lot of casual education that goes on now through the fact that we have constant internet access, we have constant access to knowledge. People don't know something, so they Google it, they look it up, and they see what it is. And, and you know, maybe they retain that information, maybe they don't, but there's there's an element of that that is education. Like they, they have a need for knowledge. They look it up and they get it right away. Or, you know, people want to learn how to do something and there's probably a YouTube tutorial for it. People want to learn uh, guitar at home and they, you know, look up chords online. I mean, there's a lot of distributed education I feel like that's happening now that couldn't have been possible in the past that's completely outside of any system. And, uh, you know, obviously we're not collecting data on that, so I don't know 
that we can say too much about it. But what what do you think of that, Mark, as a phenomenon? Oh, I, it's it's definitely present. And the the question then is how good a job can those venues do in teaching people the things that will allow them to participate in the economy? The learning how to play a guitar, a lot of people do for fun, not because that is what they intend to have as their career path. I can tell you a lot of people are watching videos online trying to learn how to program. Yeah, that's what I was just going to uh, say, actually. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I can tell you I had uh, 14,000 views on my programming videos last month. Um, <laughs> you know, so, so there is a lot of this that's, that's going on out there. Learning only from that for more difficult topics is, is challenging, and that's where you do need the, the feedback aspect. Uh, that doesn't just come from YouTube videos. Right. Well, there's a little bit more formalized version of that, too, which is there's all this growth in online courseware, some of which uh, is basically just lecture videos and is not that interesting. But some of the more interesting stuff actually integrates some of these concepts we've been talking about directly into the course software. So there's, you know, pop-up quizzes with immediate feedback. There's a forum with other students where you can ask questions, and there's even, um, you know, a, a, an actual teacher in some cases, whom you who is an expert whom you can um, interact with as well. Now, there's a lot of ways that interacting through a computer terminal is not always as good as interacting in person for everyone. But then there are also other people for whom it's better. It's not, I think, a one size fits all. But uh, in some cases. You can learn complex things, I think, you know, through some combination of computer software and uh, media access through a computer. But let's let's focus on the first part of what I said, which is the maybe the search part, right? The, okay. In, the instant lookup part, right? Sure. Because this mm-hmm. looks even less like traditional education, right? This is where, and imagine the more extreme version of this. You know, you look at something with your augmented reality glasses. And the second you don't know the word you're reading, what it means, it tells you what it is, right? The second you you're looking at the syntax. Uh, that you just wrote in your programming language, and it immediately tells you what the function you need is. You know, like just in, basically instant lookup. You know, an extension to your brain that you know finds the information that you don't have that you never did learn, uh, and hands it to you right away. I mean, that's in a way that's sort of the opposite of education because it's not knowledge that's already in your brain, but it sort of feels like it's making people smarter <laughs> right, at the same time. Right. It's autocorrect for life. Right. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I mean, does that, are, are there, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. I'm not having, <laughs> I, I understand. Um, yeah, the, yeah, there was an article that came out not that long ago talking about how if you took someone from a century ago and you put them next to pretty much anyone in the modern world with a smartphone, but you put a partition and they couldn't see what the person was doing, the person with a smartphone would appear brilliant <laughs> because you could ask them any question and they would be able to answer it very quickly. However, so much of the challenges of life isn't just having the knowledge, it's being able to apply it. And that's where I fear that that type of thing doesn't, that, that's where the, in some ways the education matters and, and where just the lookup doesn't help you. You have to have a certain foundation in your brain so that you can make the connections and you can apply stuff as opposed to just having a whole bunch of unrelated facts. Yeah, that's interesting. It does. It sort of depends on what kind of work people are doing, but to the extent that the work of the future is going to be creative, innovative work, where you have to sort of make something happen that wasn't happening before, you can imagine uh, even a really good uh, AR lookup system not being that helpful. Yeah. Uh, because it's not going to help you be creative. Uh, you need to have those 
those need examples in your mind. You need a model in your head rather than yeah, just a, to, yeah. to, exactly. re, to recombine. But it will make, um, I think on some level, it does make education less important for the average person. Because even now, just having my phone in my pocket, I feel like my natural ability to remember lots of English words and what they mean, which has been a great benefit to me in my life, is basically no longer one. And no one cares anymore. You know, I mean, there was a time when I was in school when that was a way I could really impress people and, and get myself ahead in some way. Uh, nowadays, that would be not a valuable skill because basically anybody can use a dictionary on their phone and well, achieve the almost the same model result. of the word that allows you to apply it appropriately in the right situation. Though, right. Well, I think. The, the, the hours and hours spent reading books that taught me all those words also turned me into somebody who can write sentences, which is something that a computer still can't do. I mean, obviously, they're going to catch up to me on that. But, you know, writing a pretty sentence that some other person thinks is a pretty sentence is still pretty hard. And that's a result of that model. So yeah, I mean, I think there's still value to education, but I actually wonder whether the thing you're talking about, John, won't be you know a reason that people choose not to educate themselves. No, and I've seen opinion pieces on this, like you um, know, is Google making us stupider? And and of course, there, there's the the other side to this, which is that nobody remembers a lot of stuff when that you can just sort of so easily offload it to this other system. Right. Well, and I think the conclusion that those articles make about is Google making us stupider is that it's not, and that we we treat Google the way we treat other human beings, right? We, we think of it as being um, a, a person we can ask certain kinds of questions and it will give us the answer. And so we store, oh yeah, the answer to that kind of question is an answer Google knows as a sort of abstraction in our mind. But like directions are a good example, like where you could have the underlying model of the world, which is the map and the layout and the mm-hmm. geography, or you could just completely ignore all that and yeah. offload that entire piece of knowledge to the, the system. Which is great as long as the system works. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's absolutely happening. I feel like not. it was always hard to learn maps, so I think people often just used to get lost, and now they don't. But to the extent that people used to memorize maps, they don't do it anymore, right? So yeah, I, I worry to some extent about that. I don't think Google's going to make us stupider, but I, I could see it culturally having an impact where maybe people would be like, I don't really need to learn this, I can just look it up on the fly, but then they lack the depth of knowledge to be creative and innovative in that field. Apparently the studies that have been done on this, you know, the, there's the whole generational, the, are people getting dumber? And the conclusion was that kids these days um, <laughs> are, are actually, what's happened is they've had, they have had switch in skills. They might not know as much but they are much better than previous generations at knowing where to find information. Right. right, and that's just a different kind of information. It's like they're compartmentalizing it such that, oh, I know to look for that information in this way. And that's just as good as knowing the information these days, so that's what they end up learning. But maybe not. I mean, like, we've now said, I think, contradictory things, right? Because, like, if, if lookup is not good enough, right? Because lookup is not really learning the underlying concepts in such a way that you can apply them, then maybe relying too much on lookup and shifting to where you're just remembering where to find things is actually making people stupider, right? Yes. Or the other way to phrase that is if if you are using lookup for the right things, then you're not wasting brain capacity and memory on things that aren't important. And you can spend all of that learning time and brain capacity on developing the few models that are most important. So I don't think it has to be a negative. I think it can be, and I think we have to watch out for that, for sure. We have to make sure people are still learning the things that matter. But there are a lot of things that we used to just have to know 
that didn't give us access to a more fundamental model of the world that we could use to be creative. And to the extent that we can offload those things, I imagine we're just making ourselves smarter. To the extent that we're offloading things that we should understand to another system, that could potentially bite us later. Well, okay, this actually, I think that we have some experience with this that's not just recent, and that's the whole movement of putting calculators in math classes. And from the educational side, so in some sense, bringing a a calculator into your math class is offloading. You no longer have to know how to do arithmetic arithmetic, because, because the calculator can do it for you. However, when you work with students who have always done that, what you find is, yes, they can do math, but they are completely enumerate. In other words, when they look at a number, they don't have a feel for what it means. They're just copying down digits off of a screen. Like they'd be really bad at estimating, say, or like... They're really bad at estimating when you give them a a question that actually has meaning behind it. This happens in an astronomy class, for example and they get an answer that's off by like 20 orders of magnitude, it doesn't seem wrong to them. It's like, this is what the calculator said, I'm writing it down. (laughs) Yeah, I worry about that. That, Uh, That's interesting. I went to school long enough ago that we were still expected to do long-form arithmetic and also write cursive handwriting in school. I don't think they do that so much anymore, but that was something that they, they expected from us, and I also... This is just my own personal experience, but I also like had a Casio calculator watch at that time. Like it was the eighties <laughs> and this is what, so I basically, I think unlike my peers was like a calculator kid, but everybody else wasn't, uh, cause I was surreptitiously doing my work on my wrist and, uh, despite what they told us. And, and similarly, I, I learned to type, but I didn't learn to write properly. And I think, you know, to this day, I have terrible handwriting that even I can barely make out. And I'm probably pretty enumerate in the way that you describe. Like, I can understand math concepts fine, but if I'm just doing the work, I'll often make a mistake and not realize it. I think what we found is, in some ways, the flaw isn't in using calculators in education. It's in how you use them. And so I think there was a window of students where when the calculator first moved into the classroom where it was done wrong and too much reliance was put on the calculator and not enough look back and think about that answer that you just wrote down. Because the calculator itself isn't evil. It's just if you rely on it completely. And so going back to Google search, if all you do is you just look up the information and then you don't think critically about what it is that you found, that's problematic. I, w- I would agree with that. Yeah, well, and it's, I think it's worth sort of pointing out that when a new technology like that comes up, it's often not obvious what the best way to use it is. Um, oh, definitely. Uh, so, yeah, that's going to be an issue going forward as we get more and more powerful technologies that can substitute for learning in various ways. Uh, more and more calculators, basically, uh, calculating different types of things. We have to figure out how to integrate them. Uh, in a way that actually helps people understand and and doesn't just uh, doesn't just do it for them to their to their detriment. So do, should we wrap it up? Yeah, by, I think we can. Let, sure. Let, uh, well, let's ask you this question. So uh, you're making the case that education is not the way out of the coming wave of automation. It's not the way out of our potential future problems with technological unemployment. It's not a it's not a panacea that's going to cure these things. And I. I think by and large, I agree with that statement. So this isn't exactly, you know, 
what we brought you on here to discuss, but do you, what do you think we should actually do? What's the positive step that we should take to deal with this problem since, since you agree that it's a problem that we're facing? Well, that's, that's a tough question. I do think that, some, that a, a basic minimum income is it's the best step that I've seen uh, because I personally believe that we are heading down a path towards technological unemployment and that if we want to keep the economy functioning, we're going to have to kind of feed the whole system because just just expecting everyone to educate up to a level where they can be productive in the coming economy to me doesn't seem like uh, it's a it's a reasonable approach well i would agree with that more or less so uh yeah that's the conclusion we've come to uh <laughs> and you know we're concerned about obviously a lot of the same things you are i think i'm not quite as pessimistic about our abilities to to change our approaches and ultimately educate more people but i think i'm absolutely as pessimistic a, as you are about that education leading to them having gainful employment. Um, I think there's lots of reasons to educate yourself that have nothing to do with having a job. And, um, and for those reasons, I can see us continuing to, to make progress. But uh, if, as you stated, if people are getting educated in order to work, that assumption is almost certain to change in the near future. I actually have, a, my, my view in some ways has actually become more negative recently as I watch my own children and as they enjoy Netflix and then I guess also college students, the, the way that we've changed our consumption of entertainment, it's become so much easier and so much less expensive. And so if I have to choose between, well, completely non-educational but very fun, uh, watching some movie or whatever entertainment on, on the, that I can stream versus going someplace and watching something educational, Unfortunately, I think the vast majority of people do not take the educational route. Well, I have a lot to say about that, but uh, <laughs> perhaps that's another topic for another day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, this is really great. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Mark. Thank you very much for having me. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to our interview with Mark Lewis. As usual, we want to remind you to support the podcast uh, by giving us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever it is you use to listen. That helps us out a ton. And please give us feedback. You know, let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing that maybe you don't like, so we can continue to improve the format. Yeah, you can email us at feedback uh, at reviewthefuture.com or you can tweet at us at RTF underscore podcast. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. To subscribe or leave a comment on this episode, please visit reviewthefuture.com. You can also send emails to feedback at reviewthefuture.com. Thanks for listening.